And hello, welcome to another exciting episode of the Show Up Dad podcast. As a father, I have experienced the void created by my absence. I know what it's like to chase success in the workplace while your family takes a backseat. This is a podcast for hardworking fathers looking to level up the fathering skills and be more than just a paycheck or provider for the home. Today on the Show Up podcast, we welcome Hassan A. Daniel. He is the founder and CEO of the Father Factory, Inc., the Father Factory is a coaching service that addresses the intergenerational impact of childhood trauma as it relates to child sexual violence in males. Hassan is a husband, dedicated father to his two sons, an ordained minister, and a compassionate speaker. He's on a mission to optimize the affirmative parenting outcomes for fathers by providing guidance, proven resources, and a non-judgmental community. I'm super stoked to have you on here, Hassan. Thank you once again for coming on here and for today's very, very deep, special episode. I want to kick things. Yes, I want to kick. Yeah, no problem, brother. I just want to see if you can give our audience a a brief background, you know, of your story, both personally and professionally. Absolutely. I just want to say thank you for just the opportunity to come and address your audience. Uh, It is always a blessing to sit amongst brethren and uh and really to share the the wonders of our god and so uh just a little bit about me i I am a christian yes i'm a christian and i'm glad about it and um i am a grateful husband i probably would have said lucky but i'm i'm a grateful husband of 15 years uh i'm a proud father of two young uh, men that are eight years old and 11 year old and i am also a male survivor of child molestation at the hands of a pastor. My career has led me to human services and and leadership positions with New York City Department of Youth Community Development and Fathers Initiative. Um, I've worked and led as a director a world-class parenting program in Central Harlem New York, uh, and it leads me today to my present ministry and my baby, which is the Father Factory. And as you mentioned, the Father Factory is a coaching service that addresses the intergenerational impact of childhood sexual violence of dads and when they experience it as children. And those people that come to our doors, who comes to our doors uh, are men who are struggling, struggling with, it could be intimacy, it could be addiction, it can be anxiety, depression, anger, the list goes on. Uh, We as a group for the Father Factory are submitted to God and we partner with great um, partners who are uh, very well known. Um, One of our uh, our big um, partners are the Browserton Touchpoint Center, uh, where we actually did a webinar with them talking about the work Um, of the Father Factory. We partner with faith-based community uh, centers and schools, and we do work to educate organizations on how to engage fathers who have experienced childhood molestation. So we're excited to be here and thank you again for the opportunity. Absolutely, brother. Well, Hassan, I wanna just go into this topic, I mean, it's called emerging from the dark fathers who have been sexually abused. 
I mean, obviously this is something that you have experience in and I just want you to just be able to, to really touch the audience with all this, you know what I mean? This is something that's a great need. So with that all being said, Hassan, I read this article, okay? And it said it was in December of 2016 that a 15 year old boy's stomach pain was so unbearable that he ended up in an Atlantic hospital, according to a story in the Columbus, Georgia Ledger Inquirer. This led to questions being aroused and eventually to the conviction of a serial child molester. What are the statistics of this heinous abuse? Well, that's a great question, David. And um, we definitely should be keeping that young man in prayer because unfortunate experiencing of sexual molestation has impacts that will last life, your lifelong. Um, and the fortunate thing in that story is that the serial, the serial um, pedophile was able to be uh, caught mm. and, and dealt with, and we thank God for that. But there's some, some devastating uh, stacks around this. Uh, MaleSurvivor.org uh, talks about uh, that there are uh, one in three girls and one in six boys who will be molested before the age of 18, according to past history and what we're looking at in the future. It also talks about MaleSurvivors.org uh, talks about the 20-year disclosure for boys and adult men in terms of talking about their experience that they have had of being molested. And there's another piece of data that's elsewhere that talks about that out of a uh, hundred or a hundred men um, that have been that are pedophiles, one of them. Uh, out of 100, five of them will see jail time. And um, in the span of that 20 years, right? So there's 20 years of non, uh, of no disclosure to say, hey, this happened to me. And at the same time, there's this very slow, almost non-significant um, <clears throat> move of those that have uh, perpetrated and are being brought to justice around this. Uh, the CDC.org has says that 91% of child sexual abuse is done by perpetrators that children know and that parents know. We'll get into that to talk about the whole idea of grooming as well. Uh, there's so much to think about when we think about these stats because these stats are so real to us. You want to just think about if you ever went to a child's classroom or if you were ever in your classroom, think about every one out of every six ch children in that classroom um, will experience, uh, unfortunately, this um, horrible, horrible thing that will go on. This is a, a public health problem, and this is what we are doing um, to expose at the, the uh, father factory because there's a lot of uh, money that's going out to deal with all of the problems that come out of this. Actually, the CDC actually raised that it was $9.3 billion that was spent on a, a yearly uh, budget to deal with the problems that are coming out of this. And we're talking about alcoholism. We're talking about <clears throat> depression, hypertension, um, so many of uh, these things that are manifesting 
from what we see that's taking place and that's happening. Wow. I mean, just when you put it in perspective, the way you said to go into my child's classroom and to see that one in three girls, one in six boys by before the age of 18 are going to be molested. I mean, that's that that just opens my eyes to a whole different realization. I mean, and I mean, yeah, and there's some of us, you know, maybe we don't have children and we don't go into classrooms or anything like that. But mm -hmm. I want you to think about this, uh, that uh, rain.org mm -hmm. says every 73 seconds, an American is sexually assaulted. Jeez. Every 73. So in the span of the time that we will take to do this uh, this uh, meeting today, this interview, like we're experiencing people being sexually assaulted, men and women. And, mm -hmm. and the scarier part is that the frequency of rape for adults is lower than the frequency of rape for children. Wow. Wow, man, I statistics don't lie. I mean, it's, it's crazy. They're overwhelming. I mean, this is definitely a something that needs to be looked into. And that's why we, we brought it to light, you know, on this podcast. Um, with that being said, Hassan, what are signs as fathers do we need to be aware of to recognize this child abuse in our children? Oh, yeah. They're, they're, this is a great, great question because dads are there for protection. Mm -hmm. We're there. We want to we know that our babies, that our children are okay. And not just our children, but the children in our neighborhood, in our country, and our world are okay. And here's some of the signs to think about. Here, we'll start with the physical signs. Some physical signs are uh, bleeding and, and bruises and swelling around the genital areas. Um, other signs are difficulty walking when there was no difficulty walking, difficulty sitting when there was no difficulty sitting. Um, Another sign is frequent urine, uh, urinary um, and yeast infections. Frequent urinary and yeast infections. And these are things that weren't there before and now all of a sudden they're showing up. The other physical sign it, it, that to think about is uh, pain, itching, and burning in the genital areas. And so, you know, uh, maybe an older child can dis, you know, disclose and say, hey, I'm burning, it's hurting when I pee or this happens, um, but a baby, right? Um, when you're changing the diaper and, and dealing with a child and you see um, any of these signs, it is, it, it is a sign to think about and to report and to check into uh, to see what the issue is. But then there's some behavioral signs as well. And so one of the behavioral signs is a change in hygiene or refusing to bathe, or bathing excessively. So it goes those two ways. This change in uh, hygiene, I'm no longer keeping myself up. Uh, it, uh, it's, uh, we see that it's actually dealing with uh, the confidence and the, uh, the esteem of the child. Uh, the other behavior to look out for is developed phobias all of a sudden there's now these new phobias that come up. Um, and they can be phobias of any kind, but they weren't there before. Um, there's exhibit um, depression and PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. When we start seeing signs of depression, 
signs of um, post-traumatic stress disorder. These are things to be aware of when a child or, or even a, a, an adult expresses um, suicidal ideations, when they have they express this idea of what um, uh, suicide or attempts of suicide. <clears throat> and this is especially in adolescents, when uh, adolescents attempt suicide, um, we want to we want to check into this and see what this is about. School absences, drops in grades. And these are things that are out of the norm of what's happening for this child. Mm -hmm. uh, inappropriate sexual knowledge and behavior, nightmares and bedwetting, um, overprotecting of other siblings and becoming the, the caretaker um, role. Um, running away from home and school, self-harm, um, the list goes on, yeah. <clears throat> but shrinking away, you know, from physical uh, contact as well. Man, I liked what you said about as far as uh, one of the things that could be an indication of this trauma happening is a sense of overprotection for their siblings. I mean, that, that, that's just astounding. You know, I, I, I get this picture in my head of a, of a, an older sibling, just not wanting the same trauma to happen to her, her brothers and sisters. And then that brings up the question, if she's having to feel like she needs to protect her brothers and sisters, where are the parents? Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's just, that's crazy. Uh, I heard a story the other day I was talking to, a uh, a lady from the Underground Railroad. Okay, she's going to come on the podcast. She's going to be talking about uh, sex trafficking. Okay, and she's telling me a story about a nine month old baby girl no. who they had abused her until the age of three, and her parents found out that if they were to record the abuse, they could make double the money on some of these sites. Wow. And it just broke my heart, dude. I mean, seriously, as a father, I mean, just, just as a human being, I mean, I can't even, I can't even fathom or, or, or speak on the amount of anger I had at that moment from hearing that. Yeah. Yeah. It should be outraged. We yeah. all must be outraged of this because this is God's least of my little ones, mm. least of my little ones. That is better that you wrap a milestone around your neck and throw it in the midst of the sea than to mm. touch the least of my little ones. And um, and we have to love what God loves and hate what God hates. Absolutely, brother. What are some tips we can do to protect our children from sexual abuse, Hassan? You know, what are the things I say, and I, so that it stays. Um, in the head of all of us. And for, for dads to do this, for moms to do this, I want you to think of Jesus' words to Peter when he said, if you love me, feed my sheep. Mm -hmm. Feed my sheep. You think about that like feed. He's saying to feed, give your unconditional love to them. Mm -hmm. Notice when they are in need of support. See, your unconditional love lets them know that any 
thing that goes wrong, you still are there. You will be present. You will walk with them through all of the hardness of life and that they never have to feel that, that lie that uh, pedophiles tell them that no one's going to believe you. Everyone's going to say it's your fault. Pedophiles will push that idea that if you do this, we'll kill uh, the people you love. This is our secret. They'll understand, your children will understand that unconditional love is there. And they'll also teach them God's unconditional love for the times when your humanity fails, mm -hmm. for the times when you get so angry that something happens where it feels like you're shaking at your core. Teach them how God loves us unconditionally, that like, even while we were sinners, he gave his life for us. And, and that's the part of feed. And when we look at my, so he said, feed my sheep, my, he's saying that we are not Lord over God's inheritance, that his sheep, that our children belong to him. And whatever we do in word or in deed, we ought to do unto the Lord. And so our idea is that we protect them in that way. Mm -hmm. We add protection for their life in that way. And in order for us to have protection over for their life, we have to have a plan. Mm -hmm. And the plan is in three phrases. The plan is first, having a good idea of the developmental stages of children. Mm -hmm. What are the developmental stages of children? Uh, you want to understand their, their uh, what, what babies experience and how they transition through life. So then you know what's normal to expect. And then when you see something out of place, then you can call that. The other thing is that you wanna know and understand their temperament. You know, there's that one kid that, that takes you right to the edge. Oh, and yeah. then that other one can bring you right down, mm -hmm. right? And you wanna understand that temperament and if that temperament changes or gets tinted you have a idea of what's going on and then finally you want to have scripture as a part of your plan mm -hmm. your plan has to have scripture based because you want to deal with um, you want to deal with false beliefs false belief systems and you want to set them up in a way where they're ready in understanding that and lastly that word sheep so feed my sheep right sheep need to be led we've got to understand that it we are to lead this it is our job to be intentional about how we function with our children how we set up boundaries with our children and i'd say something uh that's, that's a little controversial but in terms of boundaries we have to start that within the household and the extended family as well Sometimes grandparents like to spoil our kids. They like to give them what we, we say they cannot have and they'll sneak it to them on the side. But we've got to also let them know, let the grandparents know that we all need to be on the same page because we're teaching our children to not have secrets, mm. right? Because that is the, the uh, 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 in the arsenal of a pedophile is to keep this as a secret. And we don't want to foster that idea and that false belief that secrets can happen. And then as a, as we're, if we're leading the sheep, we're modeling our submission to the truth because we're not above. If you really think about it and the scriptures declare 
that we are all brothers and sisters in the Lord. So you are your son's brothers and your daughter's brother, right? Um, and we all are submitted to God and his truth. So protect your children by feeding my sheep in that order. I like that. I've never heard it in that perspective, you know, and, and I, I really thank you for for sharing that with us. I mean, that was that was pretty powerful, brother. Um, I liked what you said that uh, how we're trying to teach our kids, you know, with, like say the grandparents, right? Yeah. When they're dis they're displaying this behavior and they're saying, hey, it's okay to have this secret. You know, we're actually grooming them yeah. for these pedophiles that that's one of the tools that they use to attract and keep this sin in secrecy. Because what is the Bible talks about the power of sin is in its secrecy, right? And that's how these yeah. pedophiles thrive. I picture these predators, you know, what is a predator? You know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a hunter, okay? Well, a predator goes after the ones that are separated. A predator goes after the ones that are weak, okay? Mm. I see that with coyotes and whatever, okay? The ones that are kind of withdrawn, you know, and as a father, if we're pushing our kids away, we're not being intentional, we're not making that time to engage with them when we're constantly telling them, hey, you're not good enough, not in, not in words, but in our deeds and saying yeah. you're not worthy and you know um i'm too busy for you because a lot of times fathers do that i'm busy right now i got something i gotta do so what does that child do that child goes away thinking that hey i'm not an important enough to my father this is more important to me so i'm gonna go seek something else and then we push them away and what happens that's when those predators come whether it be through the internet you know um, I saw this documentary where this girl, she's an actual undercover agent and she dresses up as an 11 year old. I mean, they do the makeup and everything to create a fake profile, everything. And it was crazy how many hits she got. Yeah. I mean, yeah. up to the point where a guy wanted to meet her and they go through the whole process and everything like that. But uh, it was just crazy where these people's minds are. But <laughs> sorry, I didn't want to get yeah, all the largest. The I'm sorry, the, the largest percent of those that are, are, are um, preyed upon mm -hmm. in terms of sexual abuse are under the age of 30, mm. right? So you've got a large percent of college students, mm -hmm. about yeah, like 54% of them are susceptible. Uh, mm -hmm. Those that go away to college are susceptible um, to abuse as opposed to those that are that stay home. But then you have the younger children that are very open and susceptible to uh, sexual abuse. So that makes a lot of sense that all of those hits will come because that is the appetite. The other, the other issue of that is pornography. Mm. Pornography has become uh, the, the igniter of uh, those that are looking for younger and younger victims and more violent uh, types of sex because pornography um, doesn't fill the hole that uh, people are running after to try to fill. <clears throat> pornography is actually <clears throat> the deception that says that um, I will comfort you, I will be there for you and, and give you what you need. And actually 
it's um, actually what the scripture says, Proverbs 29, verse 25 says, the fear of man lays a snare, but whosoever trusts in the Lord is safe. And that whole idea of trusting in yourself and your own opinion and what you think can um, fulfill you will always lay a snare for you. It'll mm. be this rabbit hole, this slippery slope that you cannot control, that will only have a, a greater and greater thirst that you are, uh, are way uh, unable to handle and to contend with. And so it that makes a lot of sense of what, what you were saying. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's amazing that you touched on that because you're absolutely right. That pornography has the ability to really just change and dilute the way we think we start looking at women or children or whatever, you know, float your boat as an object. So in a sense, it's desensitizing you as you watch these things. And that's what creates that need for, for more violent, more violent, because it's not feeling that need. Yeah. And it's just crazy the way it just continues to go, you know, down that slip, slippery slope. Um, there's an organization that's out there and it's called the, uh, porn the new drug and they talk about a lot about pornography and how it's even more addictive now that it's been more prevalent especially during this covid and this you know everybody's at home they're online you know you're experiencing more and more uh people on an online presence and now kids you know parents are are doing their thing you know, trying to survive, trying to trying to provide for their children. And what's one of the ways that they placate their children? Oh, here's your device. Go in there. So now these kids are apt to getting on these devices and looking into these horrendous websites. And now they're seeing it with their eyes. They're receiving it and they're thinking that it's okay. You know, it, it, yeah. you're talking about a multi-billion dollar industry um, mm -hmm. that can easily go to the trillion, uh, but it's so much money to be made in that. And they have lobbyists that actually lobby to remove laws that limit their ability to have more clientele. And one of those uh, laws that they pushed aside was that consent of, of age range. And so they've now, kids can see stuff on TikTok. Instagram is the new porn. Um, you know, there's this this way that they've made it where it's more accessible uh, to more people and to younger people because the younger the person is that gets addicted, the longer there is to have a client um, and the longer the time to have a client. Uh, and that's why, you know, protecting our children, uh, the, the scripture says, you know, train up a child in the way they should go. And when they're old, they won't depart from it. So it starts at childhood. It starts very early on and how we're uh, beginning to address this and, and being very aggressive with it. We, we definitely need to be aggressive with it. I wanted to, if you don't mind, I wanted to just kind of give for your audience, like what's included um, but not limited to child sexual abuse. Yeah, go ahead. Great. So exhibitionism or exposing oneself to a minor is considered 
having experienced sexual abuse, mm. fondling a, um, a minor um, is that as well, intercourse with a minor, uh, masturbation in the presence of a minor or mm -hmm. forcing a minor to masturbate, um, obscene communication with minors, uh, obscene images, exposing them to obscene images, actual sex of any kind, uh, sex trafficking, because uh, it, it's interesting that this has to even be said because sex traffickers use that excuse that it's I'm not doing it. Uh, it's those people are doing it, but they're providing the vehicle for which it actually happens. Um, and any other kind of sex that um, harms the mental, emotional, and psychological uh, welfare of a, a minor and a child. And so I wanted everybody to kind of get real clear of what that is, because I think the expert, the assumption is, is when someone says that they were sexually abused, they go to probably intercourse or anything like that. And I want your viewers to also know and, and to, to hear that um, men can be molested. Um, uh, molestation, uh, my molestation I experienced was with a male pastor. And so uh, it is not obscure and, you know, in terms of something that cannot take place, it does happen. And um, our work is really about exposing that and ending that in the lives of our children. Mm. Hassan, when is the best time to talk to your child about sexual abuse? Yeah, I think the best time is really the, at different stages, this is different stages that we should uh, talk to our children. As I said, the scripture says, uh, train up a child in the way he should go um, when he's only want to part. But I, I wanna get everyone to thinking about um, talking to the children. I want us to realize that we have verbal and nonverbal communication. And so we should be exercising both of them. In our intentionality, we should be thinking about verbal and nonverbal um, communication. So for babies, we want to start communicating to them verbally the permission to change the diapers. Or, you know, daddy's going to change your diaper now. Daddy's going to um, wash you up. Daddy's going to, uh, and daddy should be early on teaching children body parts. Um, this is a part of uh, the state ages and stages of a child and um, well-adjusted children are well aware of the body parts from an early age. Uh, so the other part of doing that is about setting boundaries and teaching children consent during that. Um, you're, you know, as they become um, toddlers and, and, and get older, right? You want them to have the privacy around uh, their changing uh, and you wanna respect the privacy. You know, oftentimes we are kind of leery when we get to our teens in, in the locked room in the house, right? Yeah. Uh, but we should knock on the door. We should teach them that, hey, you have this amount of uh, responsibility and that can expand as you are accountable with the responsibility that's in your hand. Mm -hmm. um, and, and we want to model that for them as well. But that talk can happen at every stage and it can happen verbally and non-verbally.
Mm -hmm. uh, and it's very, uh, we ought to pray specifically of how that plays out in, in our lives for our children. Because mm -hmm. some children pick up on cues differently than others. Yeah. So, Hassan, do you think it's safe to say that a father who walks around in his underoos, right? He's, mm -hmm. he's walking around in his party suit in his house. He's got a teenage daughter walking around and he's wearing his, you know, banana hammock for lack of better words. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So that's considered a form of abuse, correct? Well, um, yeah, you know, I, I think, he, you know, I'm, I'm trying to really think of culture as well, right? Mm -hmm. Because cult different cultures uh, have different understanding um, it, in America, we do a lot of body shaming. Um, let me be very clear. I'm not advocating that anyone walks around in their underwear uh, in yeah. front of their children. Not mm -hmm. that at all. But I am saying that if in a particular culture um, where it, it is safe and it is explained and it is um, innocent, um, yeah. then that is different as opposed to not explain this is just who I am you know your old man and he's just gonna let it all hang out and deal with it and then you know and the daughter's like oh dad what's going on or the son is like ah oh, dad come on with that right yeah you, you know that the idea of trauma trauma is when there is some distress mm -hmm. so when we think about dealing with trauma we're dealing with what distressed you uh, when I, uh, I make no assumptions when someone experienced anything traumatic, mm -hmm. my question is, and, and this should be for all of those professionals that are out there that work with people that have experienced traumatic situations, is that we should ask this question, what about that event traumatized you? Mm -hmm. What distressed you? What, what makes you anxious? Um, what, you know, what troubled you? And I think that's the important piece that once we see anything that has the potential to trouble, you know, Jesus says, if you love me, you will feed my sheep. So you'll do what what's necessary out of your love for Christ. Mm -hmm. I hope uh, I answered to that. Yeah, no, I, I like that. Another one of the questions I wanted to ask you, safe to say, um, say a mother, you know, yeah. she's got a figure and yeah. she's flaunting it you know she's wearing these provocative clothes for for whatever reason to gain attention or whatever you know what i mean to look good for her husband or whatever but is it safe to say that she's conveying the wrong message to her child say for her teenage daughter or lack of better words say she has a a son and now the son's like looking at his mom like mom cover up you know because she's flaunting it so it can go both ways right yeah, I, I think, again, when it causes that distress, that yeah. that response that the son gave, like, come on, mom, cover it up, is the distress piece of mm -hmm. it. And moms reconsider what that means for her, because she might be in her liberty, right? Paul yeah. says, you know, there's some things that you have liberty for. Uh, I can wear a, a nice fitted outfit, and I'm okay with that. But if, I, if it causes my brother to sin, then mm -hmm. I have to reconsider that. And I have to take that a total different way. Uh, and that's the piece of being so intentional and in tune with what's going on in our children that we're not conveying and, and teaching them either way, the way that says, 
listen, your body and your shape is the way that you get people to notice you and you and you take pride in that or be ashamed of your body and um, and don't, you know, uh, be ashamed of your body. I'll say that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's just it's a it's a fine line that I think parents need to walk. You know what I mean? Because on one hand, you don't want to body shame them at the same time. You don't want to give them the wrong, you know, impression that, hey, you know, you got to dress this way to get attention. You know what I mean? And I think that's that's something that a lot of people need to address. You know what I mean? Because I think it's going around as, you know, we get on in the future and stuff like that, you know. Um, one of the things I want to ask you, brother, in the event that this type of dreadful act takes place, how should a parent respond? Yeah. I think a parent should respond emphatically. I think they should be on the side where they understand and they understand and have a clear theology of what God says in reference to an offense like that. And uh, with that same um, passion and love, they should address it um, emphatically where the child knows that they are in full support of that child. Mm -hmm. that, that has to immediately happen because the child is waiting for your facial expression. They're waiting for the next words that come out of your mouth. They're waiting to feel like, are you going to confirm the lie that I've been told by this pedophile that says it's my fault? Are you going to confirm the, the, the false belief that I have in my mind that my body responded to this. One of the other statistics is that a, a male, a boy or adult male that experiences rape um, um, and is um, experiences erection and ejaculation um, and even um, you know um, you know orgasm, right? Ejaculation, orgasm uh, does not mean that they were willing participants or that they enjoyed it. And um, there was this concept that's called, in terminology is called um, body betrayal, mm -hmm. where is this whole idea that your body's responding in its natural way. And so some of the false beliefs and uh, some of the lies that pedophiles will push is that, yeah, look, look how you're responding. You wanted this. So there's something about you. So another stack is that your, um, your response to the molestation doesn't um, qualify your sexuality. It doesn't say this is um, your sexuality because you responded that. It is this whole idea of body um, betrayal. Is that kind of clear along those lines? Yeah, yeah, no, that that, that does. Um, glad for clearing that up because I had heard about body betrayal before and how sometimes, you know, the you know the the person who has experienced this often questions okay this is another male who did this to me am i am i gay you know because yeah. you know yeah. am, am i am i lack of better words you know homosexual because my body betrayed me and it responded this way and it, it brings up these questions and and a lot of uh you know of these victims you know i i i had a cousin who was uh molested uh, by a priest, you know, male priest. Sorry and yeah. And, uh, 
he, you know, he's, he's homosexual, you know what I mean? And that was always a question in my head is, man, I wonder if that was the reason, you know what I mean? If that was something that triggered him, you know what I mean? And, uh, you know, it, it's, um, you know, from the um, LBG, LBD, oh, I'm going to mess up on the acronyms. <laughs> LGBTQT or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yes. In all respect to uh, the, the acronyms as well. Yeah. Um, you know, this is the choice, right? Mm-hmm. This is, this is um, you know, it is a choice to, that, or, or Christians believe that you chose that. And uh, they will believe that this is who I've always been. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but what we need to understand, and even in the case of your cousin, that that was a violation against him, mm-hmm. right? And, and unwilling on his end and has no interpretation on any other aspect of his life. It impacts mm-hmm. his life. Right, but it because it transpired doesn't define uh, his life. Um, but unfortunately, uh, that mix of thinking happens, mm-hmm. um, and then we find uh, many men that are subscribing and women subscribing to uh, homosexual tendencies. Tendencies. Hmm. I'm glad you uh, you touched on that. So now that we talked about that, Hassan, I want to start talking a little bit about uh, father's personal abuse. Okay. Obviously, you know, this, this is a traumatic incident that happened to you. Yeah. How does this affect your abilities to be an effective father, if any? Yeah. So earlier um, we talked about one of the uh, things that can come up for uh, people who have experienced um, or sustained this injury, because it is an injury that you have sustained. Um, is that you become the caretaker, right? So you're looking out for your siblings in a certain way. Um, and what that really is at, at the, underneath the surface of that is this idea of, uh, I have to be self-reliant and I have to have control. If I m- remain c- in control, then I am safe. Uh, and it, it's a really powerful lesson, even if anyone wants to really dive into that. Um, Pastor Rick Thomas talks about this whole concept of self-reliance and, and what's underneath the surface of that. And, uh, you know, it's really amazing to look at the, the control aspect of that. Like, I want to remain in control and I want, um, and so therefore, I act out in this way and it manifests in this way for me. And just reiterate your question again. I want to make sure that I put all of that. Yeah, it was, uh, how does this affect your abilities to be an effective father? So I, I said that, thank you for that. So I say that to say that control has become um, one of those things that I find myself wrestling with, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you might think, well, hey, you're supposed to have a certain amount of control, but when it when it causes you anxiety and and um, distress around when you aren't able to control it. And so for most men in America, um, we really believe our children should do what we tell them to do when we tell them to do it. And then, um, you know, 
Uh, and if they don't, then there's something with, there's something wrong with your masculinity. You didn't, you know, you you gotta toughen up and let them know who's boss and who runs that house. And um, and all of those are, you know, fueled by toxic masculinity and definitely not anything that's associated with proper and um, balanced theology. But that idea of struggling around that control piece of um, you know, you got to listen to me now, because if you don't, you know, something can happen, and then you won't heed to my advice and what I'm telling you to do. Um, and sometimes that could wind up as a really small thing, like, you know, watch putting your cup at the edge of the, the, uh, the table, yeah. because it's going to be a big mess, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and it becomes a distressing thing that they, they wouldn't move their cup. Uh, and put it in the middle of the table so it won't be a bigger mess. And so like those are battles that I, I find that I have to, and, and we're all particular to, um, having to give over to God. And by giving over to God is really dismantling those false beliefs that mm -hmm. suggest that they're supposed to, that, that it mm -hmm. will fall on the floor, that having a mess is the worst thing of all, or that what's happening now is going to happen later. Um, yeah, all of that begins to become this slippery slope that actually happens. So uh, there's, um, Pastor um, Rick Thomas talks about 12 assumptions that we can make about everyone. And it's really powerful to really think about those particular assumptions, but there's this control, the fear, shame, guilt, um, self-righteousness, anger, sexuality, you know, all of these things we all battle with. Yeah. And so it's, it's what degree you battle with it mm -hmm. and being able to see, have the lens on that helps you to notice, hey, I'm battling with this and it's, uh, it's an irrational thought and it's not a biblical, it's not biblically based. My theology is broken. And therefore, if my theology is broken, I'm outside of um, serving God and I'm now serving myself. So it's either you're going to serve yourself in your battle or serve God. I like that you said that, I mean, about the control, right? It makes sense that someone who struggled this, I mean, they felt when they're when this was happening, obviously they didn't have no control over it, right? So then in your thoughts, in your mind, you feel that you have to have control in order for things not to happen. And uh, it just, it makes total sense. You know, I think a lot of people uh, struggle with that, you know. Um, how do you know when you're healed from that trauma, Hassan? Wow, you know, you know you're healed from that when you are more, when your reliance is more in Christ, mm -hmm. when you are looking to what the gospels say, um, and 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 trying to align your your functional, <coughs> excuse me, theology with that. Excuse me. I, I once was told that uh, any memory that is not healed, you haven't been healed from, has pain associated with it. Another word, and another way to say it is, a memory that's still painful is a memory that hasn't been healed. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. So, yeah, when we can become victims and we start living out this victimhood, which is this idea of 
taking on what has happened to us as if it is who we are mm -hmm. and not claiming who Christ calls us to be. We're now trying to live through the expectation or vicariously through the sin that was enacted on us. And we begin to call ourselves those things, right? So been through sexual abuse, um, you're weak because you, you know your society says men are supposed to be strong. If you were strong, then you wouldn't have had to you know, experience this or you were not intelligent enough or you weren't bold enough to stand up um, and care for yourself enough to tell and say no. Um, all of these things uh, start manifesting and you start uh, trying to live those things out. But you understand that you're actually healed as you are allowing him to, to walk you through. I, I love um, the opportunities that God gives me to see myself and then um, and to hand over myself to him. Uh, and <clears throat> examples of that are uh, being able to tell my sons, I apologize, you know, like that was going, I was going too hard on that idea of move the juice from the edge of the, the table, you know, uh, I apologize, because they need to see us model our submission to the truth, um, because they are our brothers and sisters in the Lord as well. What are some uh, contraindications that a man who's been sexually abused might have? Hmm. Yeah. Dive into that question again for me mm -hmm. a little more. Well, what are some of the things like that, that a, a man who's been sexually abused, what are some of the indications that he might have that he's been traumatized by this? Oh yeah. So <clears throat> when we do this work with the father factory, Mm -hmm. And uh, through the Father Factory, we know that we're going to encounter men who are struggling um, in worst case scenario with addictions, um, in worst case scenario with depression, with anxiety, and definitely with anger. But in the least case scenarios, we're also experiencing intimacy issues. Um, keeping good and healthy relationships, um, setting healthy boundaries. Um, we're seeing also that uh, the effect is going into their physical being. So heart disease is being manifest, right? So my eating habits are wrong. I, my, my, um, the way I, my self image is off, right? A number of these things also manifest um, because here's the thing about it is that uh, if there is an average of 20 years of disclosure, oftentimes what has actually happened has been dissolved so much and worked so much out of your, your, your psyche and out of your mind that you've just taken on behavioral um, vices that help you to kind of relieve that. Right. So in other words, um, something took place when you were a child, you were uh, traumatized by that, you were distressed by that. How you dealt with that was eating. Mm -hmm. And now eating becomes the thing that kind of helps bury anything that happens. 
and now out of eating, diabetes takes place and overweight takes place, heart disease is taking place, strokes are happening. Uh, and so, you know, all of these things become and get manifest out of that core thing that actually took place. And this is why I do this work for the Father Factory, because it's so devastating that you can be victimized and, and here's a continual victimization um, on a daily basis, because it's just goes into this slippery slope again. Wow. Um, when would it be safe to say that a person who's been abused, say a father, right? You know, is, is there certain drugs that you would, that they would put a father on for this type of uh, trauma? And when would it be a, contra a contraindication of that? Like, when would it be not be wise to, to use those certain types of treatments or drugs for someone who's experienced this? Definitely. Um, we, you know, we leave the, the medical stuff up to the doctors and different mm -hmm. things. Thought. But what we also understand on the spiritual end is that there is a spiritual aspect that must be dealt with. See, because the medicine is dealing with what what's manifest physically and what's the the um, presenting problem, but that the, the problem under the surface is something totally different. Uh, a gentleman that I interviewed for my podcast, the um, voice lessons, uh, this gentleman um, is a hip hop rap artist, and he talked about uh, his experience in his song of being molested um, and the different things that he was exposed to. And in that, um, he also then talked about how his body responded where he broke out all over his body, mm -hmm. just all over his body, he had all of these um, uh, welts and different things that were coming up out of his body. And um, as he went to therapy mm. uh, and began to deal with the issues, he started seeing his body regulate. Mm. So it's amazing that, you know, we kind of separate the two often um, to say, oh, well, that's a medical thing. So it has nothing to do with God or, or spiritual or the church or the Bible. Mm -hmm. But God made us in one you um, as one unit. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, and our bodies are connected with our spirits, and so if we not if we're not dealing with that, we're definitely um, going to be on these medications that might, you know, we'll probably be on it for the rest of our lives, mm -hmm. um, and we want to um, to deal with that other issue because it might relieve us from having to take the anxiety and depression mm -hmm. medication um, because we've actually now found uh, that the Lord, to trust in the Lord is safety. Mm. I like that you said that. I've always been a, a firm believer that when anxiety and stuff like that is popping up, right? It's a clear indication that something else, there's something deeper, a root, right? Anxiety is some of the fruit that comes from these deeper, these deeper issues, which is the root. So it's um, to me, anxiety, right, is almost like a check engine warning on your car. Yeah. It comes on, yeah. right, when something's wrong, you know, whether it be to low fuel or, or low tire pressure or you need to put oil in your car. You know what I mean? It's, it's a warning, 
You know what I mean? That something deeper is going on. Okay. How does one self restore from all the self sabotage and self inflicted actions? Wow. I think it, it starts with um, the, the tools and, and the people that God put around us. Mm-hmm. Like I've, I've referenced several different um, CDC, um, one in one in six.org, uh, male survivors.org, um, rain.org. Um, um, I think it's CDC.gov. Uh, but all of these different resources, and I'm sure there's a ton more. There's another resource um, from darkness to light, uh, which is really good as well. Uh, the thefatherfactory.com uh, is a really, really good resource as well. And so uh, the, we need these resources. We need loved ones that are around us that know to turn us over to God, mm-hmm. that know to pray for us as if they're praying for themselves Mm -hmm. um, that will uh, love us through these moments. So uh, we can't do this alone. Mm -hmm. You can't, you can't even see your own real issue. You can't see what's beneath your surface without God exposing that to you. You know, you have to have this encounter. You have to be on the road of Damascus and boom, God just knocks you off of your horse and then you realize that you are uh, not doing the will of God. You're actually working against it and then you repent, um, such as um, Saul then turned into Paul. Uh, So uh, those resources, those people around us and the gospel. um, and and, and, And the other thing is that we might need the medication that will help stabilize us until we're at a more functional place. But all of those things together, talking about it, getting it um, dealt with, we have to normalize this thing that men hurt. Mm. Men hurt. Men go through pain. And men get hurt in this way as well. And we cannot, we can't can't shame it. We can't uh, look down on it. We have to stop and say, you know, we've got to acknowledge this and Mm. uh, and find a place where we are better at um, dealing with it. I like that you said that, that the shame. Okay. And that was going to lead into this next question that I have for you is why are people silent about this? But I guess it'd be the shame, correct? Yeah, it'll definitely uh, be the shame. And I've been thinking about this question. Um, I've often get this, this question and I'll answer it in a way that says that um, actually people aren't silent about this. Mm. We're learning how to see and identify. We're putting on a, a different lens to realize, like, wow, depression, hey, anxiety, hey, phobias, hey, heart disease. Like, we're looking and recognizing that these are manifestations of something earlier that happened mm-hmm. that traumatized this individual. Now we just need to go back and understand what it was. And then, and then to start dealing with what are the false beliefs that allow this thing to continue to have the victory in your life. And so when we when we get there, we can realize that people really aren't silent. They are actually screaming out. That that friend that you have that's just got to have another beer um, and you know doesn't even remember his name or her name, right? Um, and just goes into this very self defeating and self-harming behavior, something happened. Mm. And uh, and trauma-informed care 
um, which is what we are now as a nation thinking about, is all about stop. We're going to stop asking the question like, what's wrong with you? Mm. Right, because we've been looking at people and say, "What's wrong with this guy? What's what's wrong with you? You're doing this, you're doing that. What's wrong with you?" And now we're flipping that question and saying, "What happened to you?" I like that. See, what's wrong with you is that you had fault in it. Mm-hmm. What's wrong with you is that eh, it was something you may have did. You should have. You were in the wrong place at the wrong time. You shouldn't have been wearing that sexy outfit. Then they probably wouldn't have come to you, or they, right. But what mm-hmm. happened to you says we're acknowledging that this wasn't willing on your end. Mm. We're acknowledging that you are at, you, you're not at fault in this, that it's not your fault. And so this is where we need to be to understand that people are screaming and yelling and saying, help, 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 help. Mm. Um, domestic violence, something mm-hmm. happened. And something happened, some anger, unresolved anger that's, really seated in fear something took place something happened mm-hmm. yeah. Hassan obviously we know that this has a, a deep effect on someone's self-esteem when this happens right what are steps that one who's experienced this abuse can do to build up their self-esteem that are sustainable yeah so I'll take you're saying in terms of self-esteem as this idea of where they have no boundaries, they're wearing their heart on their sleeve, uh, they're allowing people to take advantage of them, uh, they're not seeing themselves as, as any self-worth. Uh, everything starts with um, comparing what God are you going to serve? Are you going to serve the God of, of, of yourself? Are you going to trust in man? Or are you going to trust in the Lord? <clears throat> to trust in man says, You've got to go through life and not let one thing knock you down. And if it does, you get up and you knock it down, right? And if you're trusting in God, he's saying all things that happen, everything that happens in this life, they meant it for evil, but I meant it for good. I have a perfect plan in all of that, right? And uh, Paul goes as far as to say, I don't care what people think about me. He also then goes on and say, you know what? I don't even care what I think about myself. Mm. And then he goes this far. He says, I only care what God thinks about me. Mm. And that's proper theology. Yes. Because the world teaches self-esteem. The world teaches you got to believe in yourself. You got to encourage yourself and, 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 and get up. And, and our hope relies in him. Mm. We have our hope in him. If I had to believe and trust in myself and haven't experienced this thing now, I'd probably be in a horrible place. I grew up in Brownsville Projects um, where it is infamous for crime today, this day, and has Mm. been so for years. And if I believed in trusting in me and doing it my way, I'd probably be out in those streets doing some of the things that I've known a couple of people to do. Um, and it wouldn't be good at all. But when we rely and we trust in him, there's a whole new way we see this world. Mm -hmm. There's a whole new way we understand that nothing gets victory over us, that if anything offends, it ultimately offends God Mm. and it will have to deal. And he he says, you know, vengeance is mine, said the Lord, I will repay. 
Mm-hmm. Right? It's not in our hands to do. It is definitely his. And one of the questions I saw that came in was, uh, what fuels this type of behavior? And I, I've heard it before saying that it was control, that the victim uses control. Is that is that true or? What fuels whose behavior? Uh, the the behavior of, of a predator. Okay, yeah. Well, the sin nature, definitely, right? This is a sin like uh, other sins. It's a grievous sin. Um, it's deplorable in our society as we really look down on it. But at the heart of it, it hates God, right? The actions hate God. Uh, the, the actions uh, takes God's creation and says, I, I assume the role and the, the position of God, and I will do with you as I please. Um, and unfortunately, uh, many that have perpetrated have been perpetrated, mm-hmm. right? Um, there's many that have been perpetrated that will never perpetrate. They'll be on the other side to defend and to stand up against. But what fuels it is that sin nature, um, a corrupt um, nation that, uh, that believes and, and uh, sets aside um, you think of Sodom and Gomorrah and you say like, you know, the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah was, the, was not just barely uh, the rape and the homosexuality that was happening. It was it, at the core of it, it was the pride, right? The pride against, uh, against God. They were, they, were, they were prideful. They were uh, against the, the, um, the widow and they were taking advantage of the poor and the fatherless. And God said, now I'm going to come and destroy you. You are directly going against my will and my purpose. This is why our job is to uphold the bloodstained banner. Our job is to uphold what the truth of God's word is so that that can shine a light on what the darkness is so that mm-hmm. people can see the contrast of the darkness. But if we, we subscribe to what the world says and subscribe to what they believe and think, we then put put ourselves as salt to be thrown under man's foot. Mm-hmm. I like that you said that, man. I've never heard it like that. Hassan, one of the last questions that came in was, is abuse by a sibling, is that, is that, uh, is that something that happens a lot? Yes, it's very common. It's very common. It's, it's very common and it's, underreported mm-hmm. um there is this whole idea of don't do not shame the family don't take um you know uh, our business out in the street uh rain.org has a great piece around this about sibling or about incest and talks about statistics around that i don't have them directly before me but you can definitely check out their website uh, around incest but it's very, very common. Um, uh, the majority of times the person will be, the perpetrator will be someone the child knows or that the family knows. Uh, and oftentimes it's, and it's unfortunately family members. Uh, yeah. It, is it safe to family. wow. Is it safe to say Hassan that as a predator that they try to groom the parents before they groom the children. Yeah. 
I'm so glad you would say that because that is the, the process of the uh, pedophile. They have a whole grooming steps that they take. The steps are to first get familiarized with that family and uh, get on the good side of those parents. Uh, to groom those parents really means to befriend them and to earn their trust so that you can have privacy um, with uh, the victim that you're aiming, that they, they're aiming for. And then um, gain that trust and the secrecy with the child. Um, and that is the way they groom the child. They look for um, the missing links. What are the missing links in that child? Like, hey, you know, I know your parents gave you $50, but listen, you, you deserve more. I'm gonna give you $100. And I want you to hold on to that. Listen, anytime you need it, it's there. They portray themselves as the answer mm. and what, what's needed. And then later as the, uh, you know, the, the protector of what is the that sexual relationship, to engage in a sexual relationship, uh, to sexualize the relationship with children. And so there's a whole grooming process that starts with the parents um, to gain the trust of the parents and then move in for the child and to get that child um, to secrecy. Wow. When you're just talking about the Hassan, you touched base on how the perpetrator tries to give the child something that they, they want, right? Uh, they create a need, okay? Um, I remember seeing this article when I lived in San Diego and it was about the homeless kids that are surrounding Balboa Park, okay? Now, these kids come out at night and they have these, these adults, mostly men, middle-aged, right? Who will call them up to the car. And majority of these kids are, are um, for lack of better words, they're, they're not American. They're, they're here, you know, as illegals or whatever, you know what I mean? trying to create a, a better life for themselves. Well, they come over and they see these men who start giving them these Jordans, right? They start buying them these expensive clothes and stuff like that in exchange for sexual favors in the vehicle. And it's, it, it's rampant in that park. And uh, I just, when you're talking about that, I had, I just remembered about that, that episode that I saw there when I was living out there. And I, I just, man, it just, it just came yeah. to my mind. I was like, wow, man, they, they create a need for these kids. They, they, they see what they want. They need, you know what I mean? Whether it be candy or Jordans or whatever. I mean, it's, it's sick the way these predators think. Yeah. You know, I do a talk on the systemic factors that lend to child sexual abuse. Mm -hmm. And, um, and you know, some, sometimes we don't really, uh, really acknowledge or look at, how our society glorifies Jordans and mm. clothing like that. And you are something when you have that for a kid to get that impression or to try to live up to that lifestyle. And, um, you know, it's really important, right? To, to kind of really deal with it at that level as well. Mm -hmm. But um, these are tactics that are used um, and they're used for undocumented um, citizens or undocumented persons that are in uh, different nations mm -hmm. uh, and definitely uh, minority um, communities, uh, African-American uh, uh, young men 
and young women are experiencing here, you know, out in New York, where they're actually being snatched off of the streets, um, thrown into vans and um, never seen uh, again. Wow. And, um, and, but the thought is, and I'm sure they're like, well, they're outlaid or, you know, they probably have one parent in the household or they have no parents. They're probably living with the grandmother and the grandmother doesn't know. So uh, pedophiles study uh, children. They study uh, your, the profile of your family. And, um, and we have to know the profile better than they do. And I'm not saying that all of this will, if you do all of this, then nothing will happen. We unfortunately live in an overwhelming evil um, society that um, serves false gods. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, um, and they push to do the things that um, are not pleasing to God. Mm. Well, Hassan, thank you so much for just uh, bringing all this awareness to our audience, bro. I know it's going to be a tremendous help to a lot of these fathers out there that are struggling with this. I don't know how many fathers I know in my lifetime where it came out, you know what I mean? It, it, 20, 30 years later, it, it came out that they had been abused. I mean, I even had a, uh, a mentor to me who was a boxing coach, professional boxer. And uh, it came out like 30, 40 years later that his boxing coach had molested him. Yeah. And I mean, it was, it was just so traumatic to see him get the courage to come up and finally say that this had happened to him. And this guy, like I said, he fought Sugar Ray Leonard and everything. He was, he was a tough dude. And I have the most high respect for this man, you know, and, uh, but I'm just saying that he, he had the courage to come out and, and talk about this, you know? So that being said, I want to commend you and your courage, bro. And just being able to just do the, the great work that you're doing and continuously bringing awareness to this travesty that happens to people. But like you said, what they meant for bad, God wants to turn it around and make it for good. And sometimes your mess is a message. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, and I just want to end with that, brother. Thank you for coming on to the Show Up Dad podcast, dude. We, we thank you and we support everything you do. And we thank you, brother. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much. And uh, thank you for those that are listening. And my prayers go out to each and every one of you. Please check us out at The Father Factory, uh, www.thefatherfactory.com. Check our YouTube page out. Um, get something from our gift shop. That'll be a great support with us doing the amazing work that we're uh, pushing to do. But we thank you all for uh, this opportunity. Hope to be back again. Oh, absolutely, brother. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. Good night.